Hello and welcome to this month's Indie Jigsaw Show. I'm Fiona McGregor and with my co-host Marlene Halliday, we're going to be interviewing our special guest, Graham McCormack. And Graham has some very interesting thoughts about radical tax reform. And when we say radical, we do mean radical. We really do mean radical. Graham has written a book all about his ideas for how you could revolutionise the way that we get money into Scotland and what we then do with it. Great. And I'll tell you, prepare to be amazed. And before we meet Graham in person, we're just going to play a clip in which he summarises the ideas that are set out in his book. There is a slide presentation as well, which obviously we can't include in a podcast, but you can see it on our Indie Live Extra YouTube channel. You may have some questions about the arithmetic afterwards, and we're going to go into that with, uh, with a bit more with Graham. Welcome to Agfa, annual ground, floor and roof rent, funding towards a well-being society. Why land? It's constant. It can't be hidden. Policymakers divide it into four land types, rough grazing, forest and woodland, arable and urban. Because most properties are over one storey, we double the size of urban land types. So for Agfa Scotland's space, which includes land and all floor and roof areas, is 84,820,000,000 square metres. Urban is defined as all non-agricultural buildings and all buildings and land serviced by the public sewerage system. According to JERS, the total spending in or allocated to Scotland by all forms of government in the UK is £81 billion and £15 million. But AGFA allows us to substantially increase this by adding 10% of Scottish government spending plus £55 billion to provide an annual universal citizen's income of £10,000 for every Scottish resident. That gives a total spend of £138,440,700. The suggested rates per land type are for rough grazing 0.0166 per square metres, for woodland and arable 0.051 pounds per square metre, and for urban 10.01 pounds per square metre. Over 98% of the funding comes from the urban land types. Here's how the owners of a typical suburban house Calculate the liability for AGFA. Make the returns online and pay the AGFA to Revenue Scotland. Here we show how AGFA will be calculated for space which is not standalone. There are reliefs for agricultural buildings, how to calculate common property and tenements and common amenity areas. Owners of urban land type properties can recover the AGFA from their tenants. And rural landowners can recover half the AGFA from their tenants. To give you a flavour of the AGFA charged on some typical spaces, we've highlighted a modern semi, a small flat, a single fronted shop, a large arable farm, a small tenanted upland farm and what Scotland's largest landowner would pay. As AGFA will replace all taxation, here is the estimated annual taxation a person on current average earnings currently pays and what he or she will save if they live in an average type of property under Agfer, a staggering £6,896. And that's before each occupant receives a UCI of £10,000. You must be wondering where all this extra money is coming from when people will save so much from their current tax liability. It's quite simple, but also remarkable. There is just so much space throughout our country which is not contributing anything to public funds through dereliction and a failure to maintain vast areas of public and private space. Some are individually very small, but taken together they form a massive untapped public funding source. End poverty with a universal citizen's income of £200 per week. End the concentration of land in the hands of very few. So everyone who wants to own a share can do so without subsidising the price from the public purse. With a UCI, it can ensure that those starting or developing a business have the comfort of knowing they have UCI to fall back on 
if their business takes time, or even if it doesn't take off at all. And AGFR provides the flexibility to change and increase land types, cap, relieve, or exempt the owners of certain types of species due to restricted incomes or other reasons. It makes Scotland the first truly property-owning democracy, where 10% of everyone's UCI is invested in Scottish business. Deliver the land to solve the housing crisis, as the obligation to pay AGFR will force space owners who don't pay it to release land to be developed by the social and private housing sector. We even encourage councils to raise most of their funds from their own AGFR land types and rates, so that support from the Scottish Government and national land types charges could be reduced accordingly. This would enhance the status and independence of local government. And even if technology reduces traditional work opportunities, we can ensure people have fulfilling lives through the UCI and investment in Scottish innovation and development. We feature the principal benefits. They are not just for an independent Scotland, but as AGFR can be introduced under devolution, puts money in the pockets of all of us now, including those still to be persuaded to vote yes. It provides the hard evidence that pensions and other public services will be even better under independence. To conclude this Tracy and AGFR, while AGFR offers tremendous improvements in people's take-home income with devolution, they are substantially better with independence, raises take-home pay income to levels enjoyed by our Norwegian and Swiss friends. In the forthcoming independence referendum, she who controls all Scotland's public funds will control the debate. AGFR provides this control. If you would like a more detailed explanation of AGFR, why not buy a copy of my book? Is £10, including post, through PayPal, or email me on t1feu at hotmail.com. That was Graham's very brief, but you know, six-minute intro to his to his ideas. So I I don't know if you haven't come across uh, Graham talking about this before. First time I heard him talking about it, I I really was amazed, and to be honest, I was a bit disbelieving. I just thought, well, oh, couldn't it be that good? I mean, partly you think if it's that good, why haven't we already done it? However, actually raising the money that that the country needs and and doing it in such a radically different way. Now, I have to say, I also checked out the arithmetic. I worked it out for the house that I live in, which is kind of an average sized house in Scotland, two people living in it. And to begin with, I thought, oh, goodness, that's a bit of a hike. I'd be paying a lot more for this setup than I am at the moment for council tax. However, when you add in then the benefits of this radical approach, you know, you just realise it more than evens out. I mean, certainly in my case, which I think is quite average, we were benefiting hugely from it. So we're going to be talking to, to Graham next. Have a listen, see what you think. What I, I really appreciate was his emphasis now on the, on, on the way in which this kind of much more radical approach will really help bring people out of poverty, help help people's lives, help people's well-being, help people's quality of life just through upping their income. And he didn't really talk so much like that a couple of years back when I first heard him talking about mm. this. And, and and maybe it's something that's come out of, you know, what he's been thinking out during the pandemic and, and all the rest of it. But yeah. um, I'm now here with Graham, and uh, Graham, thanks very much for agreeing to uh, come into come into our studio. Although, of course, it's all online, and you're sitting at home, and so am I. I've sat in a couple of um, the talks that you've given around the country on on the subject. So, so there's there's always a few things that that questions that come up on that, and they tend to be. Um, the same sort of areas, so maybe we could go over that. But um, it's a wee while since since you did all those talks. Well, and the calculations certainly show that you know there's an awful lot of wealth in Scotland that's untapped, as it were, by the, the current taxing system. And you kind of lay out a completely different way of of doing it, which is pretty amazing. Has your thinking moved on at all since you came up with this and, and got the book out? I mean, I think you you sent a copy of your book to every MSP. You know, did you get much response from them? Have you got any, any more recent ideas about the whole system? Thanks for having me, Marlene. Well, in fact, my wife and I delivered a copy to every SNP MSP at Holyrood. The response is that uh, I haven't heard from any of them to date. <laughs> I often find, too, that when I have done the presentation and there's a parliamentarian present, they are incredibly quiet. 
So that's a that's a wee hurdle I think that um, that one has to get over. But you know, we'll, we'll plug on. The other thing, of course, is we're in such a state of hardship that is going to be visited on so many people, and we have people that basically they don't live; they exist, and they've existed for a long time, and they don't ever seem to be able to extricate themselves from poverty, but. On top of that, we're now actually going to have an awful lot of people who have probably never really experienced hardship. And although I take my hat off to the Scottish Government for all the kind of mitigation which is introduced, that is clearly not enough. And instead of mitigation, we've actually got to look at transformation. So uh, my belief is that there has never been a better time to introduce my model of annual ground rent because virtually all the infrastructure is in place. It needs the legislation, but we are in an emergency and in emergencies, governments have got to, and parliaments have got to act very quickly. And we did it to some extent with COVID and you do it when there are emergencies like um, wars and things of that nature. Well, you know, this is going to be some emergency for people. So I really do implore the Scottish government to, to think really quickly. Um, about how they can raise sufficient money so that we can prevent and lift people out of poverty. And it's not right to say that we're constrained by the Scotland Act uh, and the reserve powers not to do this, because we can do it. And I've already said it's under Section 80i of the Scotland Act. We have the power to bring in something such as my model of annual ground rent. And we can do that without recourse to the UK or permission from the UK government or HMRC. And that would be a far better way of doing it rather than the, the alternative, which is basically for the Scottish government to raise income tax and earned income, the rates on that. Now, that would be hugely unpopular and that would basically just, you know, increase people's tax liability. This is a way of actually looking at the land and, and property, which we don't receive any public funding from at all. Uh, and it's such a huge area of our country that's involved in this. And so it's, it is a new source of income and it is a source that will generate so much money that we can lift people out of poverty and we can give everyone, you know, a universal citizen's income of yeah. I've shown the illustration of £200 yeah. for every, every adult and child every week. Now, OK, the child payment is an advance on, on not having it at all. But, you know, £25 a week or £30 a week or £40 a week is nothing in comparison yeah. to £200 yeah. a week. So I, I think this is the moment to, to be bold and do it. Yeah. And we can do it without recourse to Westminster. Um, and, you know, I reckon, you know, that if you got all um, arms of government involved in it, they could have this in place within six months. Wow. It's just an interesting context, to, you know, to hear you put into that and, you know, thinking about the... Well, we're not out of the COVID pandemic, but, you know, at least life's back to a, a bit more like, uh, you know, like normal. But during the worst of you know, the lockdown and everything, there was a lot of talk, wasn't there, about, uh, and, and I mean very genuinely, about building back better. Mm. Politicians were using it. I mean, not, not only in Scotland, I mean, UK-wide, but um, you don't hear very much about that particular kind of way of looking at things now it's kind of i suppose it's easier to slip back into thinking well okay we'll we're, we're back to a bit more like normal let's take it forward from here and obviously there's a lot to take forward i mean you know now we're hoping that um that we will have a referendum by the end of end of next year but but i think that whole build back better and your ideas about you know the annual ground rent well, it's a really good example of one way in which in which we could do that in, in Scotland. And I don't think I'd quite picked up that actually, you know, so much of, because you must need some a lot of infrastructure there to be able to do it. I don't think I'd quite taken on board that a lot of it's there already. Presumably, what is that like? Tax well, revenue system and the land register and... The problem with the existing tax system in the UK is it's very, very complicated. It's incredibly complicated. And so we wouldn't want to adopt that. And in fact, an independence would be daft to adopt it because it would use up so many resources and the negotiations involved with the, the UK government as, you know, what 
what bits are portioned to Scotland of somebody's tax and what's portioned to UK, etc. You know, that, that is legacy stuff we want to put on one side. In the present context, um, we have a land register. It's not complete, but we don't need to worry about that. We have the General Register of Seasons, which is the oldest compulsory mm -hmm. national register of deeds relating to land anywhere in the world formed in 1617 when we were supposed to be poor and stupid and all the rest of it. We have Revenue Scotland, which is the government, Scottish government's own a tax collecting agency. Um, we have the, the land register also has what's called a cadastral plan, which your viewers might not know what that is, but basically it's this massive digital plan where uh, as properties are registered in the land register, it fills in a bit of the plan. So basically, it can tell what areas are, are registered for uh, land registration and which are still to be registered. Oh, okay. So um, we have these things. Um, we also have the, the internet uh, and we have a government. The, the way that the, the, my system would work, it's so simple, is it's not for government to register people. It's for owners of land and property to actually go in and register for what I call AGFR, which is my version of, of the annual ground. So the, the, the responsibility is on the owner of land and property, regardless of where they are in the world uh, and who they are, they have to register for that. And they register for that, and then they also, so that's registered through what we might call a register of AGFR or something like that. Uh, but that is linked so that, the, as this happens just now, it's linked to Revenue Scotland's website and they in turn are linked to the Land Register website. Basically, what would happen is, as people register for AGFR, the cadastral plan would colour in the bit that they've registered. So government would know, you know, what areas have been registered and what have not, which owners have registered and which have not. So it's basically, what would be required is that the Revenue Scotland's website, for example, would, would need to be, uh, the capacity would need to be increased. Uh, and probably rather than just have one massive website, what you would have is possibly 32 websites. They would be all linked together, but they would reflect the local authorities. Yeah, right. Yeah. could register that way. That's just increasing capacity to do that. Uh, that's a, a technical technical thing to do. So that's all there. And basically, because the, the onus is not on government to register people, but on the owners themselves to register, that means that, you know, after a certain time, maybe two years, three years, for example, if somebody has not registered and paid their AGFA, then uh, the legislation would indicate that government has the power to repossess these sites because they're not registered. Yeah. Uh, just example, if you're a mortgage lender, you can do that. Or in fact, you know, there are other things such as notices of potential liability and, and, and all these kind of things that already go on the land register. So it's similar to this. Uh, and in order to secure payment, basically the start of every financial year, the, the land register would, would register against every title an AGFR notice. And that notice would remain on there until the AGFR was paid. So it means that somebody couldn't sell their property or mortgage their property, you know, until uh, they actually paid the AGFR. That, that, that would also be the document which would give, it's like a charge. Uh, it would give the power to Revenue Scotland to repossess in the event of it not being paid over a certain period. And that's the way it works. Can't yeah, avoid can't it. avoid it. They can't avoid it. Maybe we'll come back to that in in a wee bit. But I just want to pick up again because I'm quite. I was quite taken with you when 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 we started talking here about you were talking about. Let's see if we can find a way to help people yeah. out of poverty. If you know if that's what's mm -hmm. where they are. And and yeah, you know, there's certainly big big increases in energy charges coming down the line. I mean, pretty soon they're going to be you know happening. I, I think the current kind of estimate is something like instead of average energy cost for a household being about 800 a thousand quid it would mm. be you know over three times that that amount three over three thousand possibly so it's mm. quite taken with you so putting the alpha into that context and one of the things that came across as you know thinking about what we might talk about today was was something called the pennsylvania experiment i think you i'm sure you've you've heard about it. i think i sent you the, the link but but that was in Pennsylvania, Penn State, when they've got a land valuation tax system. Now, it's not exactly the same as, uh, as what you're proposing, but, mm -hmm. but I, I noticed that when the, the various parts of Penn State are talking about um, what effect it's had, that actually what the equivalent of local authority leaders are saying, that it reduced the tax paid by people on 
lower incomes. It reduced tax and um, being paid by older people. I just thought that was interesting because you know, listening to some of the the, the question and answer sessions that you know you you've done around around Scotland, it's clear that some people do get concerned when they hear about your ideas because it seems like a big hike in the money to pay out compared to what they're probably paying at the moment for you know their, their current council tax so on the one hand you know it looks like at least they really run it in in pennsylvania that isn't what happens but at the same time people do get a bit worried about it you know examples came from folk who were maybe retired or there were maybe older folk living in bigger houses, maybe not paying any income tax, or, or maybe just with smaller incomes. So I, I guess if, you, if, if this was going to be kind of uh, taken further, it would be important to definitely be able to allay those concerns for, for, for people, wouldn't it? Yes, that's right. If we, if we deal with the, the American one in Harrisburg, I think was the, is the capital of Pennsylvania, I had a look at that, and it's actually a bit different from mine. They basically charge tax on land four times the amount that they charge on buildings. So basically this was a, a means by which they were forcing investors in vacant land to do something with it. Now that's a good thing. And it's had, it seems to have had a, a, a tremendous um, beneficial effect there. And of course the American tax system, again, you've got local taxes, you'll have state taxes and you'll have... Um, federal taxes too. So they're, they're, they're all working from, from, from different levels of government. To be quite frank with you, I don't know enough about the American tax mm -hmm. system yeah. to see whether they, you know, what I was proposing could apply across the board there, I don't know. What I don't think that they did uh, was that they don't tax vacant and dilapidated buildings for uh, time. I think it's just land. Now, we've got a problem with dilapidated buildings and, and half-empty buildings and all the rest of it. And uh, the Land Commission indicated that 60%, probably over 60%, of dilapidated and vacant land in urban Scotland is owned by the public sector. Yeah. Now, I don't know America, but I suspect maybe that the public sector, the local authorities, don't own um, such a high percentage of, um, uh, of land and property as possibly we do. And I think that's possibly a historical thing. I don't know, but I suspect that's the case. Uh, but we've got to tackle this because that is a huge resource which is going to waste. You know, people are living in, in areas where um, land and property have been left unattended or, 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 or just ignored. Uh, and that, that means that there's land there already that could be building houses. Um, you know, it could be improving environments. It could be improving everyone's sort of well-being. So we have that issue. And of course, under my proposal, um, land in the public sector is also liable to pay it. So it actually pushes not just those people that own vacant land, but also dilapidated properties to do something with it. And if they don't do something with it, then basically they've got to get rid of it, whether they can sell it or whether they've got to give it away or lease it or whatever. But so something is done, so there's a return. Otherwise, it's draining funds from them. So land and properties have got to be looked at as a responsibility and liability, as well as a, a right and an asset. Yeah. Now, now, when we when we look at older people, there's obviously going to be some people that are are either living in huge houses and there's only one person or a couple, and uh, or they're going to have a massive garden, really big garden. Because I live near Helensborough, and there's uh, some quite big houses in oh, Helensborough. Quite big houses, yeah. <laughs> and and quite big gardens too, albeit quite a few have been split over the years. I calculated that uh, under my model, if you also include universal basic income of the kind of amount I was suggesting, then probably less than 1% of the population will actually be out of pocket. And if it is somebody, for example, is in a big, big house and they have got really quite a modest income, then we could cap that. But, but one of the things, it's not just about raising more money, it's also about, you know, stewardship of what you own. And I, I know, I mean, I had a mother who, my dad died uh, quite young and, and my mother was left in, in quite a, a big bungalow with a big garden. Um, and uh, so I, I'm not in the business of chasing people out of their houses. We can put some sort of mitigation in place for that. I would think, you know, bringing a, a system like that in within, say, 10 to 15 years, the culture of ownership in Scotland yes. would change and yeah. people would be conditioned to know, well, look, 
is it really sensible for us to have the big responsibility, not just of paying an ag for on a on a property that's got a lot of ground or has a big, big house when there's very few of us actually living in it, but also having to maintain it? Because you could have a far better and more comfortable lifestyle, you know, particularly as I suppose you're getting older, you mm -hmm. know, if you're conditioned to think, well, yeah, yeah, there is a time to move on. That's also one of the reasons why I think it's actually quite a good thing to do. One, one of the early ones shows I did, it was this magnificent house in Dunoon, and it was just my luck, the owner of it was in the audience. <laughs> and I had a photograph of it and I'd calculated much of me. And he came on and he started saying, oh, he says, my income such and such. He says, I wouldn't be able to afford this. And it was a huge house. And he was quite a young man. I said, how many folk you know, do you share this house with? He says, I'm in it on my own. And it had a huge garden and whatnot. I said, well, you know, have you thought of splitting it up or maybe <laughs> a bit of ground or whatever? You know, what are, you pl what are your plans for? He says, I've just bought it. I said, do you know I struggle to try and maintain this house? And he says, yeah, he says, I do. <laughs> Funnily enough, I think after about three months, he'd sold it. So he'd taken my advice. <laughs> you know, anyway. I'm trying to kind of change how people think about and, and, in, and introduce something yeah. new. There, there's always folk around, genuinely enough, you know, who get worried about, mm -hmm. well, would I be able to afford it? And I read your book for was mm -hmm. probably more than a year back now, and I tried to do a wee calculation for, for where I, I live in this house in, in, mm -hmm. uh, with my husband. And, um, you know, it's not a big house, but it's mm -hmm. kind of normal, kind of mm -hmm. semi-detached West End of Glasgow. And I kind of got a rough idea about how much you pay. And I did gulp a bit and go, well, uh -huh. what? And then I carried on reading to find out, well, yes, but what would then happen? And then, of course, then you, you add in, well, we're not paying any council tax. Mm -hmm. And if we went the whole way down the line of what you're suggesting, there'd be a whole load of other kind of outgoings that we wouldn't pay. Plus, your mm -hmm. system would give us two loads mm -hmm. of citizens' basic income. So by the time you added that in, I was completely converted, actually, mm -hmm. at that. It's fair enough, isn't it? People have these concerns, but... But maybe it's also just important to stress that at the other end of the spectrum, not someone who's got a big house somewhere or a big garden or, mm -hmm. you know, that maybe they do need to downsize a bit. But at the other end of the spectrum of Scots population, that actually there could be a, a what sounds like a, a very, very kind of significant uptick in, in, in people's income. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in my book, what does show, um, uh, a three-bedroom semi which I've taken as a kind of average house. You know, three bedrooms, semi-detached villa with average urban garden. The ag for if, if we were independent and we brought this in and we got rid of really of all the other taxes, it would be about £4,400 a year. Yeah. I'd worked it out under Devolution 2, and that reduces to £3,262. So we'd still be liable to pay the UK taxes, such as um, what, any capital gains tax, inheritance tax, if that was applicable. You'd have your tax on um, unearned income, so any kind of money that you've got invested. Um, you'd still be paying insurance premium tax, national insurance, if you're paying national insurance, VAT, etc. These kind of things. Under independence, you know, there's, uh, there's significant savings. In fact, there's significant savings even under devolution, because I think I've, I'd worked that one out. Um, that uh, somebody on average earnings, their take-home pay, basically after tax, etc., just now is about uh, fifteen thousand two hundred pounds. That's the kind of figure on an average salary of twenty-six and a half thousand. With devolution, if you brought in Agfer, an Agfer would then remove um, your council tax. Yeah. It would remove your income tax on uh, earned income because the Scottish government could put that zero rate. That your take-home pay would rise from fifteen two to over twenty-six thousand. So it's a significant saving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if, if we go the full the full bonus, so so to speak, um, and uh, go for independence, then your your take home income would rise to thirty one and a half thousand. Now that might sound fantastic, absolutely fantastic, or fantastical. But actually, when you take into account the take home pay of people in um, in Norway uh, or the people in Switzerland. It's not that far off what they, they're taking. Yeah. So it's possible. It's possible. It's possible. Yeah. And that it's even possible. before we actually look how this will develop our economy, because land will become available, dilapidated buildings will become available, people will take these on, develop them, etc. And the, the actual impetus to the economy will be massive everywhere. Um, and so it will generate even more 
finance, the economy, and you know, encourage people to get involved in in doing things and expanding our economy. What about things like you know, b- businesses where you know they haven't really got any. You know, land footprint, as it were, successfully running a, a business, but which is mostly mostly done online. And maybe they keep mm-hmm. their computer in their spare room at home. They could be making, you know, a reasonable income from that, which is, you know, which is which is mm-hmm. great. They're not renting premises. They don't have any land mm-hmm. footprint. You know, you can't tax the the, the cloud mm-hmm. where they do their business. Any ideas mm-hmm. how you could bring that in? I think first of all, you you've, you've probably got to some extent make the jump between a why we tax income as opposed to why we we don't tax elements of wealth. Let's let's put it this way. If my system can raise enough money, more than enough money, to lift people out of poverty and not have income tax and all these other things, why do we bother too much about what people actually raise in income? Because basically if we have a if we have a system in Scotland where we have just one tax system that raises more than enough money, then what are people that are earning a lot of money going to do with their money? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? I... Now, if they if they invest it abroad or they buy things abroad, they're going to have to pay the taxes that are charged abroad for that. The vast bulk of what they have, they will reinvest in Scotland. Yeah. They'll invest in things in Scotland, and that will have a, a, a hugely beneficial effect in, in our general economy. And it will mean that instead of us being so desperate to get inward investment from foreign banks and all the rest of it, it will be Scottish money that will be be invested. It will be homegrown money that's going to be invested in in our economy. So I'm fairly relaxed about the idea of, of, you know, having people who are super rich. Because the other thing we've got to remember is that um, with what we call globalisation and robotics and all the technological advances, is that more and more of what we do is actually going to be done by robots. That's just going to happen. I mean, commentators are already saying that over 60% of the jobs we do today within 10 to 20 years won't be there. Now, there might be other jobs, but that doesn't mean to say, you know, we'll be working as long as we are just now, we'll be able to work as long. So, So the responsibility, the responsibility in government to make sure that we don't just exist but we can live fulfilling lives will mean that we're going to have to have something at universal citizens income, you know, so that people can actually, actually live. The, the people that are going to be extremely wealthy are the people that actually basically own the models, own the copyrights, own the patents and all, all the rest of all that. And it's, it's the licensing. It's, they're, they're going to make their money out of license. Yeah, yeah, things. Yeah. And, and that's why it's so important that Scotland as a country which has a, a very, very good record, excellent record of research and development over the centuries, you know, actually invests in that. And our government should be throwing money at research and development so that all the wonderful ideas that come out of people's heads, whether they're from universities or not, is, is actually invested in so that that, that, increases, that increases our economy and it increases the share that we all can get from it. Uh, so that government can actually contribute by way of a universal assistance income um, so that, we, as I say, we, we all have that benefit. We can do other things. It might not just be employment in the traditional way, but, you know, a lot of people do things voluntarily. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the way I think we're going. Uh, so we've got to bear that in mind. What's, what's yeah. going to be happening 10, 20 years down the line yeah. so that we can ensure that everyone has a fulfilling life? So, such an interesting take on it you know why do we always think in terms of uh, you know taxing wealth and, and if we've already got a system that can you know can produce the kind of kind of income that your calculations would indicate is possible mm-hmm. and again the point of yeah after all if we've got a lot of money and we spend it in the local economy fine mm-hmm. that helps everyone as well and and presumably possibly there like there's other sort of glitches like you know someone's maybe running up their own business and they've got a certain size property and next door to them there's a, a, an equivalent property but it's a charity shop but, but presumably mm-hmm. that kind of thing can just be allowed for like the, the the government could allow for for helping you know someone who's running a charity shop not having yeah. to pay yeah, I mean, I base this on, on four four land types. There's urban, there's agricultural, there's um, rough grazing, and there's woodland. You could reduce that to two. You could have urban and, and, and rural. Um, but you could also, you know, have 
umpteen variations of that. You could have commercial. You could have, uh, as you say, charitable ones so that they, they would have uh, a lower rate per square metre that they would be charged. They might not be charged anything at all. That would be for government and policymakers to decide. You could introduce new ones, for example. People have said, what about behavioural taxes? I've kind of left them and said, I will leave, we'll leave the tax and whiskey and that kind of stuff. And, uh, but in actual fact, the other way to do that would be to say, right, we will have a, a land type and a rate for uh, premises that are licensed. So if they've got a liquor license or they're, they're a distillery or something like that, then they would pay at a higher rate per square metre uh, rather than have, have it as a behavioural tax. This would be a kind of backdoor behavioural tax in order for the, the, the proprietors of these, um, these establishments to, you know, to pay their ag for, they would obviously have to charge a higher rate for their products. Yeah. Yeah, that would be yeah. one way of doing it. You could do it. So that, that's the way you deal with behaviour stuff, I think. In addition, I mean, we've had all this concern about the, the huge amount of money that the energy companies have been making. Well, there's no reason, for example, why we didn't we, we couldn't have uh, one or even more uh, land type relating to the structures that energy companies yeah. own. So you've got pylons, you've got things out in the North Sea, you know, you've got all different different sort of things that they uh, that they have. So you could actually put a charge on, on, on things which are, are part of the energy industry, and that would be a way government could uh, increase the revenue and make, make the difference between one yeah. one sort of owner and another or one yeah. sort of use and another. Uh, because, again, I mean, a lot of the stuff that local authorities, for example, own are, you might think, well, you should be free of, of, of Agfer. And there might well be a case for some of these things. But the other side of the coin is that the, the problem that we've had um, in the past with local authorities and other public corporations in this country is that they have amassed so much uh, by way of land and property that they just haven't maintained it or used mm. it. Yeah, and they're, they're under no pressure just now actually to use it and do it. So you will find that, for example, there could be 180 hectares in, in, in Easter House that have been sitting there since the 1980s, since they demolished some of the buildings, and they've just been sitting there, but there's been no pressure to do anything with it. You wouldn't want to just say, right, if it's owned by a local authority, they don't pay anything. You would need to be very sort of careful about that. Yeah, yeah. And that would also catch, you know, the other thing that happens where there's private investors who, who own land often in the city centres and they just let it go to rack and ruin. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because, because they're waiting for either they're, they're just waiting for a chance to develop it as something else. And it's not maybe the quite the, economically the time to do it or, or they're waiting, you know, they're kind of staring down the local authority to give them permission to do something. Like that. I mean, there's a few examples I could uh, thinking mm -hmm. of in, in Glasgow for that just now. So so all yeah. of those then are, seem to be advantages. And I, I mean, that certainly what you said certainly covers the kind of some of the questions that, um, mm -hmm. you know, that you, you've been asked were about that. What about does it not cut back on? on the government flexibility to try and, yeah, nudge behaviours, something like that. So that's, that's certainly answered that point. I mean, you touched on this earlier. What if someone just doesn't pay? If they don't register for it and or uh, they don't pay, then basically they lose it. There's a charge on their property. So they can't ignore it. So if you're a trust or somebody away in Grand Cayman or goodness knows where else, um, then you don't get away with it. You know, right. you lose it if you don't pay it. The powers of the uh, of Revenue Scotland would be uh, legislated for, whereby they could repossess in the event of a payment being outstanding for a certain period or a failure to register uh, within a certain period. I had initially suggested three years. I think that's probably too long. So that that can be done. So it, it, it's it's equivalent to the potential powers that a you know a mortgage lender has for non-payment that they they can they can call up their security or charge or whatever you want to call it. So we don't need to actually be able to find out exactly who owns it because because it's in the registered as a as a company somewhere or an investment right. fund. Okay, so then it's mm -hmm. repossessed. At that point, Scottish government would own it. Would they also be then responsible for I mean, say there's houses on it where, you know, people live and mm -hmm. they've got jobs. Scottish government have to step in and keep that running or can they sell it on? Well, it would depend on the, on, on the, the circumstances. Let's say it's just an estate that's not got anyone living on it as such. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, then in that particular case, the Scottish government could choose to repossess it and they could sell it on or they could they could lease it or sell it, sell bits of it or whatever, these kind of things. There would basically be a mechanism whereby they could, um, they could calculate 
uh, all their costs and all the, the, the ag for which hadn't been paid and deduct that from, say, the, the sale price that they get, yeah. uh, and then whatever balance, you know, they would return to the to the defaulting owner if that defaulting owner actually, um, you know, presented themselves and identified themselves. Otherwise, that money would just be kept in deposit somewhere oh, right. until yeah. such times they appeared. But, you know, the, 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 the issue of, say, for example, uh, somebody owning owning land and there are a number of people maybe renting houses on it and all the rest of it, well, well I mean, that happens just now with securities over large areas um, where the, the the actual owner defaults but is maybe let properties out to, to people. There are means by which, uh, you know, their positions can be secured. All that would happen there, in fact, would be that the, the Scottish government would come along to the tenants and say, well, look, your, your landlord or whoever has not been paying the AGFAR. In terms of my model anyway, the landlord can seek to recover the cost of the um, the agfa from from his tenant. So why he's not done that? Goodness mm-hmm. knows. And so basically, the Scottish government would just say, "Would you now please pay what you're due?" That's that's the way that that would be covered. Because it's important to remember that by circumstance uh, and also by choice, you know, some people do not own the property. For example, yeah. they live in. Yeah. If we were going to have a model where it was only the owners of property and land were to pay this, then that would basically mean that, you know, tenants wouldn't actually be contributing anything to the public purse. And I don't think that's a particularly good idea. So that that's why a, a, an owner of uh, an urban property um, would be uh, entitled to recover the cost of their anchor from their tenant. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the tenant wouldn't be paying income tax, and wouldn't be paying all the other taxes that they have to pay. They wouldn't be paying council tax. So it would be it would be fair to tenants. Yeah. And yeah. What I've suggested in the rural situation is like a tenant farmer that the actual agricultural element of the the, the property that they rent they would only pay half uh, the ag for, so that the, the landlord would only be able to recover half the, ah. the ag, and that that's basically again to sort of yeah. make life easier for for tenant farmers yeah. and what, yeah. and those actually yeah. work land on there but so there's many there's different sort of permutations that can be can be had the other thing to remember too is that although the actual total contribution of a non-urban property to the, the the total tax take if we call it public uh, public finances is very modest it's only about one and a half percent of the total it's still a significant amount of money yeah. uh, for a landowner to pay uh, that they're not paying just now the position there you know, would be that they would they would need to pay it, and you might well find, and I'm I'm sure you will find that uh, they will say, well, look, most of this land we have, we cannot make that sort of return in order to to cover the cost of the agfor, so we will go to the Scottish government and ask them, will you take some of that off our hands? Now, it'd be up to the Scottish government to decide whether they want to do that or not. Yeah. But you, you could imagine the situation where the Scottish government says, right, we have the ability to actually acquire a massive part of Scotland from the from Gretna up to, to, up to Shetland and probably a lot of points in between, whereby that is land which could actually be rewilded. Which of course is, as you know, what we're what we're seeking to do. But we've got this crazy system just now where we're actually giving large landowners the ability to get grants to uh, rewild large parts of Scotland, to restore peatlands and things like that. And I really think that grates. I don't think we should be compensating people uh, like that and organisations like that for something which they should be doing anyway, you know, as part of their, their responsibilities as owners. So again, there's there's a real opportunity here to change the whole tapestry of what Scotland looks yeah. like. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think it's uh, going forward with climate change, etc. You know, this is this is the time to do something like this. I mean, I've spoken to a couple of big big landowners and representatives of them, and you know, after I've, I've sort of showed them the initial proposal, um, and and they they managed to get up off their feet, and they say, <laughs> well, actually, there is something in this that okay we we own vast areas of land that we really do nothing with and we just basically sit on it in the expectation that one day maybe the government will come along and say well we want to build a new road or something like that and you know we we, we make a bit of money out of that but basically the um the maintenance and and and, and the the ownership of that land is is not something which is it's basically ideal towards their economic model 
that there are other things that could be done so that if they actually reduced significantly reduced the amount of, of land which they they own which they basically consider as unproductive then uh, that might be a better model for them to use as well yeah yeah oh it's it's just it's just fascinating to get reminded a bit more about all the possibilities that are, are uh -huh. part of that and it would be just brilliant actually if scotland could could put some of that into effect going forward i mean like you said at the beginning some of it could be done even you know before we're independent but you know oh, even yeah. more so afterwards so if you had a free hand what could be done right now then to start up a move and you know if you got any plans yourself going forward to help more people about this I've got a few wee videos that we're, we're, we're working on just now, which show um, wee snippets. Uh, I've got a few more presentations lined up uh, around the country. I had a, a, a resolution based on it approved by my local branch of the SNP last night, which I think is going forward to be, can, uh, be suggested for the agenda for our national conference. It remains to be seen whether it's accepted or not. Uh, but I mean, I'll keep plugging away at it. But I actually think that just the, the emergency which is emerging yeah. uh, before us yeah. uh, is, is probably that there will come a time where people uh, who are probably grateful for the, the, what the Scottish government have done to mitigate their anxieties and, and, and their costs, you know, that will change and people will say, well, look, it's just not enough. You've got to do something now. We can't wait for independence. It's probably going to be three or four years down the line. We've got to do it now. This is a way of doing it. And, you know, just focus on that. Uh, and so I, I think that the, the emergency that confronts us is probably the best bet for it being done. People have got to think differently. They've got to think about out the box. And this is an ideal way to, to do that. And, and the thing is, it, it, as I say, it's relatively simple to get going. It's not perfect. Nothing is ever perfect. But it can be reviewed and it can be built upon. It can be changed and varied. As inevitably, these things always are. But, you know, if it's putting money in people's pockets, then that is the most important thing of all. If I can just finish with this, my, my wife's involved in the Trades House of Glasgow, which is probably one of the, the biggest charitably giving institutions in, in the city. And one of the, the, the crafts was holding a meeting and there was an official from Glasgow City Council there. And he came up with a statistic that I found absolutely staggering. 40% of children in Glasgow cannot afford to have trainers to take part in gym. Now, I just thought that. Now, that's a small thing, but no, it's a massive thing. Mm. So, if you know, if we're in that state, what are people going to do? They need money in their pockets. And this is a way of doing it, and doing it in a way that encourages enterprise and makes people's life better. So, just get ahead and do it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for coming in. And, yeah, let's uh, all keep our fingers crossed that mines in the, over in Holyrood and elsewhere and local authorities open up and, and, and take this on board because uh, it certainly sounds like whatever version you know mm. might appear it certainly sounds like mm. it's got a, a great deal of potential to to help people yeah thanks again my pleasure i talked a lot before graham's uh to go over that interview with graham fiona what did, what did you think about it oh well first of all the whole concept just sounds too good to be true. When you first hear it, the idea that we wouldn't have to pay any kind of tax, no council tax, no VAT, no income tax, and we get a universal basic income. So yeah. I think I kind of approached it from the perspective of this can't possibly be true. But then as he works through the, the mathematics of it, but even more than that, the sort of morality of it, that's where I thought this is hugely innovative thinking and what i thought was a real shame was that right at the beginning we he told us he had sent a copy of his book to every msp and not one of them's responded isn't that a shame even to open their minds to the possibility that if not a whole big bang approach is this something that could be tried small scale or you know within even the confines of devolution are the things we could do. Since speaking to Graham, I actually noticed that Alaska has a, a universal basic income. And the article I was reading it, uh, you know, it seems to work. What they said it has done is slightly shifted the way politics works. How big part of the discussion is how much is my UBI? And that sort of drives a lot of <laughs> policy making behind it. But that aside, it's clearly able to do it in containable areas. And there have been some 
pilots around. Finland ran, ran it for a couple of years. If anyone's interested in finding more about just about the basic income part side of things, just Google basic income. There's a big, there's a lot of groups working on it. There's a lot of information there. And actually, at some we should do a, an addition just on the basic income. We should. And I know Commonweal have done a lot on that. Yeah. So that, yeah. that could be something we come back to. But in terms of Graham's idea, to have somebody just conjure up this whole concept out of his head, then work his way through proving how it could work, I think is astonishing. And the idea that um, we wouldn't consider it at all just seems like such a wasted opportunity. So there's a challenge for the Scottish Government. What do you think of Graham's work? You've all had the book. What did you think of it? Come and tell us and we'll we'll happily give you screen time if you'd like to explain it to us. Yes, yes, exactly. And, you know, once we are independent, we can be radical. We can be mm-hmm. radical in ways at which it's not possible at the moment. And wow, isn't that an exciting thing mm-hmm. to, you know, to have on the horizon if we just can get enough of us to vote yes. Do you know, there was one point, one particular point during it, and I thought this is switching the balance of our society and, and playing better to our values. And it was when we'd asked him that question about, well, what if you've got a company that's cloud-based and you can't get money from them? And in the end, he said, well, does it matter? You know, as long as we've got enough coming in, what does it matter that people have more disposable income? Because they're going to spend it here anyway. Yeah. And I thought, yes, this, this obsession with yeah. getting money from everybody. You only need the money you need to create a well-being economy and a, a, well-being, a well-being society. And once you've got that, why are we bothering about raking in the last penny from people? Let them enjoy it. Let them spend it locally. Let them go on holidays. Do, do good things with it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I hope that's given everybody some food for thought and get the book, Annual Ground Floor and Roof Rent, and it's only a tenner, which I think includes postage. The Scottish Government is currently carrying out a consultation on land reform. If you'd like to contribute to that, you can find it on consult.gov.scot. There is also a very interesting section called We Asked, You Said, We Did. And it's the result of previous consultations and also tells you those which are live. So if you want to get more involved in government, give your opinions. That's the site to be on. The Indie Jigsaw Show is brought to you by the Indie Life podcast team. We also bring you Scottish Independence podcasts with a new podcast every Friday and sometimes some midweek extras as well. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out our website, which is podcasts.independencelive.net. Also follow us on Twitter at Scottish IndiePod or email us indielivepodcasters at gmail.com. Thanks for watching. Bye now.